That's very funny. Something's happened here. Right, this question is the particular one. When should we do communion and why? I think perhaps we answer that question right at the end and we think about these questions. Who is communion for? How does accountability work and who decides? Who should preside when we have communion? What actually should take place? Inspector Morse says that you never need to use the word actually, but we use the word actually here. What should actually take place? And then there are practicalities. I don't know whether you ever thought, why, why do we use little glasses in the Bible? It was one cup, wasn't it? Um, and why don't we have wine when in the Bible it's wine? Um, why do we drink, the drink together and eat the little bits of bread all separately? What's the logic behind that? Who invented that? And in the Bible, it is part of a shared... Apparently, in, in, in Corinth, they had a, a big bring-and-share meal. Why, why don't we do that? And uh, the question of what is helpful advice in coming to the table? That's a slightly different question. So, um, <clears throat> yesterday I managed to mess up my computer, so this is using version 2, which I'm not completely familiar with, and I want to get another page. Let's, I think that might work. Yes, good. No, that's not what I wanted. Maybe it would be helpful if you and I could remember what was said this morning. So we looked at 1 Corinthians 11 and there was 1, 2, 3 and 1, 2, 3, 4. Can anybody remember? What were, what were these first ones, the first three, about altogether? They were past, present, and future. What were they all about together? What were they, they were all about something. Yeah, what, this is what Paul handed on. I don't know whether tradition is a very helpful word, but that's the one I used. It's the thing that he handed on. And where did he get it from? From the Lord, yes. I handed on to you, it was handed on to me by the Lord. So I was trying to get at the very nitty-gritty basic minimum of what he was handing on so there was a past present and future so if we do it in that order past present and future can we together spell that out a little bit what what did he say about any or all of those thank you very much the past was a historic reality And what historic reality might we be thinking of? Passover. Uh, Passover, yes, it was. But it's not Passover in general. The historic reality is one particular Passover. 
uh, yeah, the Last Supper, uh, which I don't know, is it ever called that in the Bible? Let's assume that's something we call it that. It was a supper, wasn't it? It was a Passover meal. And what night did it take place? Because it does not tell us on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Yes, it was, the, it was that particular night. And that supper was referencing another historical reality, quite close to it, but not exactly the same as it. What, what was it referencing? Well, yeah, that's... that's this is, tele- this is a telepathy question. That wasn't, the, that wasn't the answer that I had in mind. The crucifixion, yes. He's, he's, and how do we know that he's referencing that? What, what does he say that is a reference to the crucifixion? His body, which is broken, and his blood, which is shed. So it didn't take place at the, at the meal, did it? It's, it's referencing the cross. And... I tried to make an application point of that. Would anybody like to think of what, an ap- what application point is there of a historical reality like that? Well, I think the way I tried to take it was that um, that historical reality is meant to be determinative for, for our Christian lives. We're supposed to be people who say, the thing that um, defines me as who I am is what Jesus did on the cross all those years ago. So I'm not defined by my, um, my upbringing or even my present experience so much as the fact that he did that for me and that's the fundamental thing in my life. That sort of thought, which I think is a, a, a proper Christian thought. Okay, so there was a past, and then there was a present. Anybody tell us anything that was a present about Paul's tradition? You weren't here, so... Yes, it was the remembering. Remembering. Um, right, okay, the remembering. Anybody got any comments about the power or effect of remembering? Anybody from Northern Ireland here? Do, uh, so from what we might know of people in Northern Ireland, for example, do they ever remember things and does it ever have an, an effect on their culture? They have orange parades and the Protestant people will march around. I might be getting this wrong, but this is what my impression of it. You can correct me if I'm wrong. With uh, marching around and they're celebrating um, such and such a battle in which the Protestants won. And of course, this is completely obnoxious, I presume, to the Roman Catholic people who don't want to be reminded of this. And it causes riots and disturbances and offence. And it's just an illustration of the power of remembering something. And um, so in the supper, we are told to remember Jesus and to keep on remembering him. 
and that remember and remembering is, is uh, again, supposed to be something that uh, is part of who we are, uh, our consciousness of, of what makes us who we are. Um, okay, so remembering. And the future, is there a future reference? Till he come, yes. And in the, in the, I will not drink of this cup again until I drink it new in my Father's kingdom. So there's a, a future reference. And is that, was there any application point from that that you remember? No. Yes, that's right. Yes, we're, we're to be people who look forward to the future. That we're not basing ourselves in this world, that this world is, uh, gives us the reason for what we do. So we're not people of this world, we're people of the world to come. And that is one of the elements of just boiling it right down. Okay, so that's the tradition. That's what he handed on. I've, I've told you this in the past, this is where to remember in the present, it's until he comes. And you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, which is part of this historic reality here. Now, this, these four, I try to bring out things about how the supper is practiced. Does anybody remember any of those at all? Yeah, thank you. Number one was that it was assumed. So he doesn't argue to say, you ought to do this, you're not doing it. It's assumed that they do do, do that. And so sometimes the assumptions of Scripture are uh, very important. It's just assumed. You know, it's in the same way that it's, it's assumed that Christians, if they have a choice in the matter, will choose to marry other Christians. It's hardly ever specified, but it is an understanding that's all the way through, and occasionally it surfaces, you know, the widow can remarry only in the Lord, and things like that. So it, that's, uh, that's assumed. Um, anybody remember any of the other things about the practice of the Lord's Supper? Accountable, yes. Now then, is a two-season accountable? And in my notes, although I didn't put it on the screen, I, I put there's a sort of a discipline aspect to it as well. What, what things in the 1 Corinthians text point out the accountability? That's true. What, what bits of it talk about the, it being accountable? It does, doesn't it? It talks about eating and drinking judgment. And uh, there's also Paul's assessment of what they were doing. Do you remember what he said? No, let's leave that bit. The, the, the judgment bit will, will do, the, do it. Can you remember in 1 Corinthians 10 what he said shouldn't happen? You cannot and... Yeah, you cannot eat at the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So there are things that, that, that you can't do. You know, there's a, there's a, you're taking on an involvement. You're taking a responsibility. 
And I think my example of it was, if you drive away in a hire car, a wonderful hire car, you have to be mindful that if you scratch it, you're going to have to pay loads of money unless you're very fully insured. So it's assumed it's accountable. Can anybody remember the third point? Together, yes. What was there in the text that emphasised uh, or drew upon the thought of being together? Do you want to look at 1 Corinthians 11, in case if you weren't here this morning? Sorry? Yeah, that's right. Yes, it said drink, eat and drink all of you. And anything else? So this is Maria's point. In 1 Corinthians 11, what were they doing? To go over here, yeah? Okay, yeah, when you come together. Is that what it says, when you come together? No, it does, doesn't it? Verse 18, when you come together. Is it? 20. When you come together, thank you. And verse... Oh, thank you, yeah. Great, good. So there was that, there's the, the use of the word together, there's the command to drink all. And, and what, was, what was going wrong that he was criticising? Yeah. Um, I tried to think of a word for that. Anybody got a word to say? Is there a word that would encapsulate the idea of people, some people sitting and going ahead, other people being hungry and going home hungry, so we presume, or perhaps coming hungry and then stuffing their faces without without taking notice of anybody else. Chaotic? chaotic? Yeah, chaotic is a thought. And... Gracious. Ooh. Um, I'm not quite sure I know how to spell that, so I shall... Uh, Chris was saying... Selfish. Selfish. Oh, greedy is better. I can do that one. Greedy. Yeah. And that's a bit of a Corinthian thing about, um, it starts off with, he was saying, people say, apparently, I belong to Paul, I belong to Peter. Do you remember that right at the beginning? And Paul says, this is the report, and I almost believe it, actually. And what a terrible thing it is that you, you, you are in cliques and divisions, and you allow that to happen. And the fourth thing... So it was assumed, accountable, together, and what, anybody think of the fourth one? Yes, it was, it was to do with um, praise and blame, or if I put it, it was, it, yes, it was, I don't know whether, I think I did it something like that, worthy. It was something that was good in its result. It was meant to be something that was good in its results. You see, he criticizes and says, your meetings do more harm than good. They're supposed to do good. And they end up uh, resulting in judgment, and it's not supposed to result in judgment. And I think by implication, we could say it's meant to be edifying and uplifting and helpful and so on. Does that make sense? Okay. So I think that we've got enough raw material there to go back to some of these questions. Now, if only I knew how to 
operate this software. Oh, that's better. Oh, no. Right, um, was it that one? No, then I want a different arrow then. That one. So here's some questions. Who is communion for? And then how does this accountability thing work? Who decides? And who should preside? So presumably somebody stands at the front and says the words. Does it matter who does that? Are there any constraints, anything that but should result from that or not result from that? So if we had a look at those first three questions. What's the best way to do this? Would you like to find two other people nearby, one or two other people? And um, I'm just wondering the best way to do this. Let's see how it works. If we just do that first one, because that's quite interesting. Who is communion for? Would you like to take three or four minutes with one or two other people? Who is communion for? Okay, let me, let me cut you short and see how far we've, we've got with this. So, uh, who had the answer? I think Mark had the answer. What, what was the answer, Mark? Uh, believers. Okay. Okay, uh, and, and your answer was? Ah, okay, believers in the gathered church. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it is a little bit of a subtle point here, isn't it? Because if you say it's for believers, then that, does that mean believers? So if we all did a sort of deliveroo version of, of the Lord's Supper, and we all put li- the bread and the wine in little, little um, microwavable proof containers and sent it out by bicycle and we could say um, this is a communion we're all we're all we're believers we're all partaking of the communion that's fine what it would miss is this bit of the assembly of believers yeah so uh, there's an important point it's the believers together functioning as church so, um, yeah. Could we please define what we mean by church? Is church the same thing as believers? Because we operate a church membership principle, and we would say there are some people who are members of the church, 
and others who are not. So which of these is communion for? The person who is under the authority of Jesus Christ? To the church. To the church. How would we know that that's the case? So if... Um, so which, which church do you belong to? I belong to Holland Road. Right, so... Sorry? You're a member of Holland Road Church. So if we were to say the assembly, the, 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 the um, communion, if we were to say the communion is for Calvary Gathered Church then that would be a different thing from saying it's for, uh, if you happen to be here, it's for yourself. I think this needs a little bit of thinking about. What else do we, what else do we expect of church? What else do we expect of people who are in the church? Because we do. Belonging. We expect them to belong. And um, there is another expectation that we... Ha well, there's other expectations. What, 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 what would we expect of somebody in the church? Well, walking with the Lord. Um, uh, walking with the Lord, yeah. Yeah. So suppose there was somebody in the church who we knew was living in an adulterous relationship, would, would the communion be for them? No. Okay, so there's, there's, there's more than saying that they have to be a believer. There's more than saying that they're in, in the church. There's... Okay. Um, yeah. They withdrew from eating, yeah. is it? Withdrew from eating together, which suggests that believers from other churches, when they visited a, a church, were expected to, to eat and show fellowship with the believers that were there. Interesting point, yes. Yes, yep. Um, uh, 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 thank you. I'm wondering about baptism. Because we would, we're a Baptist church, and although we don't insist that every uh, that every church member is baptised, if in their conscience they feel they have obeyed that in a different way to what, as a church, we do things, would we not expect somebody in the church to be baptised um, in some recognisable way? Would we? I think we would, wouldn't we? And would you not say that there was a logic to saying, if somebody expects to take an outward sign of the covenant in the Lord's Supper, that it would at least be consistent for that person to have taken the outward sign of the covenant in, 
in baptism. Baptism is entering the covenant in the New Testament terms and, and, um, <clears throat> and communion is continuing in the covenant. Would, would you? Well, that, that's, that's correct. And it does, t- but I, I think this is the point at which we have to at least ask this question. Um, because the, the definition of church, uh, putting it very, very broadly, is that group of people who are baptized. Because that's what baptism does, isn't it? You leave the world and join the church through baptism. And that's what happens in, in Acts, isn't it? That, uh, on the, uh, that, that Peter says, uh, beginning of Acts, um, repent, no, not that bit, um, Act 2.40 with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them save yourselves from this corrupt generation those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day so if you were to think of a sort of boundary between those outside the church and those inside the church the sort of recognisable boundary of that is baptism and Yep. Well, that's... Uh, yep. Uh, um, yes, they were. And so my, my question is, who is communion for? And we said, just saying believers is not actually quite on the ball because it's the assembly, it's the church. And then I'm saying, what do we mean by church? Um, and we started to say it's people who belong and it's people who are walking with the Lord and people who are loving one another and people who are not openly in sin and people not under discipline. And I'm saying that the, the outward mark of the church, um, you know, putting it in its simplest um, terms, is that these are the people who are credibly baptised. So I'm... Uh, I'm not giving you the answer, I'm raising the question, who is communion for? Because the rest of, the, the rest of it all follows from this. Um, is it for church? Is it for the church people? So, quite strictly for that, is it for, um, is it for believers? At what point would we say to a believer, um, you're coming to the table... But isn't it a bit inconsistent if you are publicly putting up your hand that you belong to Christ at the table, but you haven't publicly put up your hand to belong to Christ in the way that he says, which is baptism? Now, I'm not a strict Baptist, but this is the logic of being a strict Baptist, and I think before we say, oh, we're not like them, I think we ought to realise it is a very logical position. And um, you know, if we're not going to take that logical position then we ought to think, why we don't? I mean, I can give you one answer why we don't, which is my dear good friend, Frank Orner Ornstein, who was the pastor of the French Protestant Reformed Church. Anybody know Frank Orner Ornstein? Um, A dear and lovely man. And he went to preach... Peace to um, Montpelier, I think, back in the day. And so he was the preacher, and yet because he was 
an infant Baptist, he couldn't come round the communion table, which seems to me to be a somewhat illogical position to come to. So that, that's why I would, I think if, if, if one is rigorously strict Baptist, you end up with, with anomalies like that, which I, I think fail the larger logic of people that we know belong to the Lord and you know, we would trust to preach to us and, and so on and so on. So when we say who is communion for, I'm sorry, I don't mean to sort of intimidate everybody by talking this way. I'm just saying we need to think about it a little bit. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so that's, that's getting towards our definition of church, church membership. It's, it's people who are committed to, to, to following the Lord. You could, argue, you could argue it the other way, though, because you could say that the, if we're Protestants, we agree that the body and blood are perceived by faith, mm-hmm. and therefore the definition of the church from that point of view would be those who have that faith. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. It's not, not an entirely neat thing, and it never will be. But I still think it's worth thinking about. Thank you. Yes, so that's, looking, that's defining um, the church from the point of view of yeah, those who have faith, those who are spiritually united to Jesus Christ, um, and, and, and the table is the, is the place for those people. Yeah, uh, thank you. That, that's, I mean, that's, that's true, and that, that's helpful. I suppose what we would say is, that there's a certain um, logic to saying, well, those people are baptized people, because if they're following the Lord, they will have followed him in baptism. So you've got to share the communion with me? I hope so, yes. I'm, definitely, that I'm, just, I'm just saying, what, let's try and understand what, what we're doing. And um, it, it, this is going to come through to the accountability, and it's also going to come through to the presiding because, um, okay, well, let, let, let's, let's think about the accountability. If, no, we won't think about the accountability because it's one minute to half past, and I said we'd stop at half past. So, no, we've got to finish it, haven't I? Well, I don't, uh, we've got next week, and I don't think we will, we will wrap everything up. But uh, let's, let's, let's sort of open it up as a question. We can th- think about it next week. This whole thing of accountability, because that's why I was, that's why I was um, uh, careful to say, no, the other way, the table is an accountable table. 
Can, can we just spell out again? There are a number of accountabilities in Corinthians. So, itemizing those. The, the bit in 1 Corinthians 11, what's the, what's the accountability thing going on in 11? Yeah, there's a sense in which Paul says, you should be looking into your own hearts on this. So there's a self-examination. And I was also careful to mention the 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11 and 12. Who does the accountability in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 11 and 12. If you'd like to have a look. <coughs> I'll read it to you. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11. I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. With such a man do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. I'm sorry, it's a bit, it's a bit of a tough, unpalatable thought, isn't it? But who does the accountability here? It's the church, isn't it? Yeah, it, uh, it, it, the expel the wicked man is addressed to the church, isn't it? It, it? it doesn't let everybody examine themselves, and if they feel that they're a slanderer or a swindler, they make up their own mind on that. What it's saying is that you as a church, through whatever church structure you have, um, have the authority to say to brother so-and-so, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, you're an idolater, and until you repent, we're not going to eat with you, and you are not on the inside of, of us. You are expelled. So the, the, who does the accountability there? The, the church does, doesn't it? Um, so I'll put that one in there. Um, there's a church disciplinary thing here. Sorry, which, which, which verse are we in? <coughs> verse 18. Verse 18. It's, uh, there are amongst you. Yes. So the opposite is keeping the wicked man away. Yep. Yes, yes. He wants the, the church, as it should be, to be together. And he wants the people who are not meant to be part of that to be outside. So there's, it, it's not a fragmentary movement. It's um, a bringing people together movement and a um, expel the wicked man from among you. So there's two, there's two movements there. But I think my, my point is that it, 
if you look at the whole thing, it's not just a you make up your own mind if you're right to come to the Lord. I mean, there is that, but that's not all there is. There is an aspect of saying, under some circumstances, and it's a bit of a nuclear option, but under some circumstances, the church would say to somebody, no matter what you think, we're saying you don't have a place around this table until you repent. And quite likely the other person will say, well, yes, I do. And the church would have to be rather hard-nosed and say, no, you don't. Um, it would be a terrible thing to happen, and, and mercifully it only happens rarely. But that is it's part of this, isn't it? I don't think we can think about this without, without realizing that, that that's part of this whole thing. Does that make sense? So, yes. Yes. Um, <clears throat> well, in the practicality of it, I don't think that there would be time to, sit, to say to everybody else, well, you just hold on while I sit down for half an hour and work out why this person feels that they can't take the supper. It, it, there could be a number of reasons why somebody says that. Some of them right, some of them wrong. So they could be walking in sin and needing to repent. Um, and that's what they should do. I think it would be more likely that somebody would be saying, I'm such a sinner, I'm unworthy to come to the table. And what would need to be explained is that the table's for sinners. I've heard that yeah. Which that, that people think they're unworthy to come. Yeah. And, and that's, why the gospel, that's why the gospel ought to be proclaimed at the table. To say, this is not for perfect people. It's for people who know they've sinned and they need the salvation of Jesus Christ. They need his grace and that's what it's about. Yeah. Yes. 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 I mean, I could imagine somebody. I could imagine somebody saying, you know, I've got a real drink problem. I've come along today, but I haven't beaten this. I really need help, and I don't feel that I, I can come to the Lord's table. I, um, I'm just sort of making that up as a hypothetical situation, in which I don't think it would be possible to say, well, just. Repent here and now and then come to the table. I think it would be probably more deep-seated than that. I'm just I'm saying that that might, might be the case. But I think more often it's the case that people need the encouragement um, because it is, it's a table for sinners. Um, I, I've gone on beyond what I said. Um, do you... Um, where are we? Have I gone the wrong way? Well, I, I, it's, it's difficult to leave this, isn't it, um, on, a, on, a, um, on, a, on an uplifting note. But um, 
I think we do, as a church, want to think these things through because they're quite, um, I mean, they are to do with, with the communion. And this whole thing of, of who decides is going to affect who presides, doesn't it? So if, if there's a sense in which the church is saying, or might say to somebody, you are not to be taking this um, at this table, then presumably the person who presides ought to be somebody that the church trusts to say that. That makes sense? So I'm, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I don't mean to make this depressingly complicated, but I think you do need to think about it. Shall we stop there and, and take it up next week? Let's sing something, shall we? Uh, shall we... Um, um,